You ever seen a child uh, or, or observed a family uh, acting together, being together, and you've seen one of these children act very well, you might say, even for that age, right? Um, you might think something similar to, boy, his parents have surely done something right. You ever thought something like that to yourself? I wonder what they did to help that child get to that point. Well, I'll tell you, we don't know much about Jesus's childhood. We know a lot about his birth. Uh, and even still, probably very little compared to how it actually was being uh, as many, re- many years removed as we are. But there's not a lot that we know about his actual childhood between his birth and, and maybe uh, shortly thereafter. And when when he was presented to the world as Jesus Christ ministering, or I should say, maybe when his earthly ministry began, uh, Luke two tells us uh, really the only place in the Bible where we see much about Jesus's childhood, and it's still quite limited. And so we're going to look at uh, Luke two. Uh, we're going to look at verses forty one through fifty two. But verse forty says something uh, that Luke says about John, although differently. He just used part of the phrase, and at the end of our passage today, he says it later on. He says that uh, he says that Jesus, or he. Says as the child grew and became strong, was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. Now, that's really the last verse of the preceding section. But I want you to sort of see the sandwich here. Uh, Alfred Plummer, a commentator, uh, explains it like this. At each stage, he, Jesus, was perfect for that stage. But the perfection of a child is still inferior to the perfection of of a man. It's the difference between perfect innocence and perfect holiness, right? And, and Luke uses similar phrases like this, as I said, about John and then also about Jesus here at the end. Let's read this text together. Uh, it's on page 806, I think, of the pew Bibles or chair Bibles that you'll find near you. Uh, I would always encourage you to open it and follow along or follow along on your phone as well. Luke chapter 2, 41 through 52. Now his parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey and they began to search. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, or or look, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand the saying that he had spoken to them. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your incredible character and your wonderful nature and your love expressed to us by sending your son to be a visible expression of who you are, a visible exact imprint of your nature. Would you please open our hearts and our minds to understand what we read this morning and uh, help our hearts, our will, open our will and our hearts to, to believe all that you have written and to apply it in our lives. We want to be faithful as we find Jesus to be faithful 
And as you, through the saving work of Jesus and the powerful inner working of the Holy Spirit, will enable and empower us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I, well, really every person is ultimately to emulate Jesus in our spiritual growth and our desire for the priorities of our Father. We're to emulate Jesus in our spiritual growth and our priorities, uh, our, our desire or purposing in our hearts for the priorities of our Heavenly Father. This passage speaks to parents. Uh, and, and it speaks about Jesus is who we are to emulate. But there are several things we can see uh, f- f- regarding parents here or or maybe by application, uh, um, uh, grandparents, possibly. But parents, we are if you're a parent in this room, we are to create an environment where our children can or are more likely to emulate Jesus in his spiritual growth. Right. This is one way as a parent that you can emulate Jesus in his spiritual growth. Now think about that for a minute. So, so the, the direct application for all of us is to emulate Christ in his spiritual growth and to desire the priorities of the father of our heavenly father. And so while I'm speaking to parents here about what they can do, recognize that this is a, uh, a quick way or not a quick way, a, an immediate way that you can emulate Christ in his spiritual growth. Jesus's parents, Mary and Joseph, right? They were faithful to establish a life and a lifestyle of an an environment of spiritual growth for Jesus to flourish. Now think about that for a minute. There were Jewish customs that were originated way back in the Old Testament. And Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph followed these customs out of love for God. They, They were faithful to the Lord. They weren't perfect. They also needed a savior who happened to be their son. Uh, and the son of God, but they were faithful to, to follow the Lord as they had been instructed, right? They, they faithfully obeyed the Mosaic law, uh, for ritual purification, right? After Mary had given birth, uh, to Joseph on the day when they were prescribed, they went and Mary was purified. You can read about that in the, in the earlier part of Luke, uh, Luke, uh, 22, I think and following, um, and she honored the Lord or they honored the Lord by attending the three major feasts of Judaism, right? And so here in this narrative, they bring Jesus to the Passover. The Passover is the first meal that starts the feast of unleavened bread, which would be a total of seven days. Some would come for the, the, uh, the, the, the Passover and then go about their ways. Uh, but many would come and they would stay for the full feast of unleavened bread. Women were, women were allowed to attend, but men were required to attend according to the, the Mosaic law. If they lived within 20 miles, Now 20 miles is about a day's traveling journey in their time. We can do 20 miles in depends on what road you're on 20 minutes or, you know, 45 minutes, depending on, on where you're driving. Right. Um, and so as they traveled these 60 miles, that was essentially about a three days, about a three or four days journey for them. And so the men who lived further away, they would strive to attend the Passover at least once in their lifetime. Uh, but Mary and Joseph would, would come every year to Jerusalem, right? If you think about uh, maybe some stories you've heard about Hannah in the Old Testament, she came to the temple because she wanted to dedicate her son. She wanted to give her, her son, Samuel, to the Lord and, and, and just acknowledge that, Lord, you have blessed me with this child and he is yours. And the same is true of, of Mary and Joseph. So notice that they're faithful, they're caring, and they're still learning, 
it's easy to think as we talk about what we need to be doing as we pursue the Lord, as we love the Lord, that we need to be doing all of these things and doing them all perfectly. Well, listen, if that were true, none of us would need a savior because we'd be perfect. The entire reason Jesus came is to save his people from their sins. And he saves us from our sins and then he helps us grow as we walk to follow him. But we still sin along the way. And the same is true of Mary and Joseph, right? So they're faithful in following the Lord as we've seen, but they also are deeply caring about Jesus's well-being. In other words, they're, they're, they're loving their son, but they're loving their son in such a way that sets him apart unto the Lord. They're loving him in such a way that that's not just looking for, say, uh, the college scholarship, uh, or uh, whatever the other thing might be that you, that you might pursue the best for your kids. We want our kids to grow up. We want them to do well. We want them to be good contributors to our society, of course. But what should undergird all of that is, God, I want my son, number one, and number two, because they're different kids. I want Braden to be a man who grows up to love you and love your people and love your word and serve you with all of his life. I want Skylar, Lord, to grow up to be a young man who loves your word, loves you, loves your people, and serves you with his whole heart. And maybe that's in some kind of what we would call vocational ministry or missions work. Or maybe it's as a, as a faithful employee who has what we might say is just an average everyday job. But they work hard. They work faithfully. They work in a way that displays integrity because they want Jesus to be magnified in their life. They care about other people. And we do that in any number of contexts. So as soon as they realize Jesus wasn't with them, with them, they're like, well, hold up. Where is Jesus? Right? So they would have been traveling in a caravan. It's very likely that that some of the kids would have traveled either over here with the women or maybe with one of the other sons, an older son of, uh, of one of the other families. Uh, all the kids travel together. You know, you got to eat sometime. It's like, okay, that's the kids table. And we're going to talk over here <laughs> with the adult table. Right. So they would have traveled in a caravan, maybe somewhat similarly. Uh, but once they realize he's not with them, they're already a day away. So they flip around and they head back, takes them another day to get there. And it takes them three days to find him. Now, honestly, we don't know if that three days included the two days of he was gone, takes us a day to travel back. And then it took them a day to find him. Or if they were there and they searched for three days to find him, that's kind of what the, the way it reads sounds to us, but we don't know exactly, but they find him. Their 12 year old boy. Now, what are we thinking if we're trying to find our son? or our daughter for that matter, and they're gone. Do we think they probably found a place to go do some more school? Mm -mm. We're like, what lamp did they knock over? Whose house did they destroy? Where are they? You know what I mean? We think all those kinds of things, right? What did they create to get into? They come, they find Jesus. He's sitting in the temple and they are astonished, probably for a number of reasons. The text doesn't tell us everything there, but, but, yeah, they find him. They're astonished. Mary seems to be sort of astonished for his lack of consideration of her feelings. I kind of see that in the way that she talks to him. But in Luke 2, Mary says, son, why have you treated us so? Look, your father and I have been searching for you and in great distress. That tells you something about what she was sort of accusing him of, if you will. 
Why would you do this to me? You know, I'm dying inside when I can't find you. We are totally stressed out. Why on earth would you do this to us? But Jesus doesn't say, or at least that we see, you're right, mom, I'm sorry. What he says is quite interesting. He speaks kindly. He speaks truthfully things that Mary should probably remember from earlier in Luke. When when, when Simeon, a prophet, knew that he wouldn't die before he saw Jesus and he praised God that he got to see him. He's like, I got to see Jesus. Lord, I'm ready to go home. Take me now. And then Anna, a prophet, comes and she prophesies about the wonderful things that God will do. Mary and Joseph, they hear all of these things. And so as they're parenting, they ought to be taking in mind. And here's where we need to listen up, parents. As we're parenting, we need to be taking into mind what we know to be true about what God wants us to be doing with our children. How God wants us to be living, prioritizing, arranging life around the centerpiece goal that our children will live their whole lives for the Lord to be a blessing to other people. Now, that can happen in a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be in a vocational way, if you might say. It can happen in a lot of ways. But they seem to have forgotten Jesus's purpose, which is very much otherworldly, you might say. It's an eternal purpose. They knew there was something eternally special, but they didn't always perceive his actions in the right ways. Or even if they did, what mother says, I am so looking forward to the day that my son gets beaten and hung on a cross. So there's a struggle inside Mary because she knows his life on this earth is not for long. And I think every mother, every parent would understand at some level, I don't want that for my kid. And I know, I know I'm just a steward. And as they looked, if they looked for him for three days, can you just imagine the foreshadowing that's going on in her heart? That Jesus would be crucified for her sin. And that he would be dead for three days. Then he would be raised again. Jesus answers and he says, you know, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? In other words, I'm 12 now. They didn't call them tweens back then. I'm 12 now. I'm growing to be a young man. My priority my priorities are increasingly beginning to shift. Now, again, we don't see between, say, 12 and 29. But my priorities are beginning to shift. Now we're here and we're in the temple and I must be in my father's house. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes here. But Mary and Joseph are still learning about what this looks like to parent the son of God. Mary, or I mean, Luke tells us in, in the end of the chapter, or in the end of this section here, that they didn't understand the things he had spoken to them. Right. They didn't understand That he had a kingdom mission from a heavenly father that would begin now as he's growing up, as he's growing in wisdom, as he's growing in his spiritual further, fervor is what I meant to say. His, His purpose begins to be made known in how he grows and how he prioritizes and what decisions he makes along the way. And as Mary begins to perceive, begins to to, to wonder, not even having it all figured out yet. The end of the passage tells us that 
She treasured all of these things in her heart. Maybe recalling Old Testament teachings that she knew were true. And now she's seeing them begin to be borne out in the life of her 12-year-old son. And with internal conflict, I imagine, she begins to treasure. She begins to treasure the word of God, the truth about who her son was in her heart. Brothers and sisters, when we encounter truth about God, rather than, rather than dismissing or, or rather than scratching our heads and saying, well, I don't understand it because it doesn't immediately make sense to me. We're to treasure these things. We're to inquire of these things. We're to lean into the truth of God as revealed in his words. I would also say we don't have to live life, parents, in such a way that we make our kids seem, or I'm sorry, we make our kids think that we seem to know everything. It's a, it's a wonderful way to honestly teach our kids to always be learning more about the scriptures when we acknowledge that we don't understand it all. And we are treasuring these things in our heart. It's very much like Pastor Brian's uh, opening and call to worship. There is so much about this world that we are still learning of. And the more we learn, the more everything points back to the Lord. And we ought to be always treasuring these things in our heart, but especially and, and particularly God's word. And one way we do that is when we read something about God or we're trying to explain something about the Lord, we get to a point where we say, this is the best I can do right now to explain it. But when something is beyond our capacity, that ought to not lead us to frustration. That ought to lead us to awe. Because if we as a people think that we know everything, it's very arrogant, actually. There's a whole lot of Christian living that is just standing in awe of God, treasuring these things in our heart. It's also possible that Mary understood uh, more than we're aware that she did, right? She might have understood more about everything that was taking place and beginning to unfold than we're aware of. I'm going to read a quote from John Calvin. It's, it's a little bit longer. And Braden, would you bring me one of those? You're paying attention. Good job, son. Would you bring me a bottle of water right there, buddy? I meant to bring one up with me and I forgot. Thank you. John Calvin said, those who think that the Holy Virgin spoke in this manner for the purpose of showing her authority are, in my opinion, mistaken. It's even possible that it was not until they were apart and the witnesses had withdrawn that she began to uh, expostulate uh, with her son after they had left the assembly, right? I mean, she, after they were gone from the people, she may began to think through this with her son, expostulate, right? I'm like Googling that word. I don't know what that word means. So... We're together there if you don't know what that word means. However that may be, this complaint was not the result of ambition, but it was the expression of grief, which had lasted three days. And yet the manner of her complaint, as if she had received an injury, why have you done this to us? It shows how ready we are by nature to defend our own rights even if it means neglecting God. The Holy Virgin would a thousand times rather have died deliberately, preferring herself to God. But in the indulgence of a mother's grief, she falls into it without thinking. And undoubtedly, this example warns us 
that we ought to be suspicious of all of the afflictions of the flesh and should certainly be aware that by grasping after our own rights and what we want for ourselves more than is proper, we might defraud God of his honor. Now, there's a lot there. In other words, when we endure something that's difficult, whether it's with a child, whether it's with a parent, whether it's with ourselves, our initial gut reaction is to say, why is this happening to me? Which assumes this is unfair. I'm being treated wrongly. God should do something different in my life. Rather than humbly saying, God, this is horrific. And I know that you mean all things to work for good for those who are your people and who love you. And so I trust you. We often come to that after the fact. And what he's saying is we have to approach everything with the glory of God first in mind. Rather than than the glory of self. Rather than the the pain-free life. Rather than the complicated life. We say, no, God, I don't get why this is happening. But I want your glory and I trust your wisdom. I can't count how many times I have answered differently than that. So here's part of the point. They're still learning. We're still learning. You might say, oh, I wish I'd have been doing this with my kids for the last five years, ten years. You may say, my kids are out of the house now. Oh, I wish I would have prioritized that more. Do you know God's in God's providence and sovereign ruling and reigning in the world? He expects you to be exactly where you are right now. So what do we do? We take from this, we learn from it, and then we apply it moving forward because none of us can go backward. All we can do is take what we're learning now, confess where we've missed the, missed the uh, boat, acknowledge it to the Lord, just agree with God. And then say, Lord, I repent. I want to move forward following you and trusting you. I'll be back here praying this prayer again. So, you know, stay near. And he'll say something like, well, I'm everywhere and always attentive to my people. So I'm near. We'll say, okay, let's go forward. Secondly, we're to emulate Jesus's desire to carry out the priorities of the heavenly father. Jesus related to the father very much like a father. And we are to relate to him in the same way. Jesus stayed behind to intensively learn, asking questions that really showed a spiritual fervor. Let me ask you something. If we had, if we had, uh, uh, I don't know, some event and, and kids were learning and everybody kind of started to go about their own way. And one kid said, I just want to stay back and I just want to learn more about God. Some of us might be tempted to say, like, why would I want to stay and learn more about the Bible? Or I don't want to go too far with that because I don't want to pay people in the wrong corner, but we'd be amazed at it, but it would be, maybe it, maybe it's better to say this. It might be more surprising because it's more the exception than the rule. And it was true here in Jesus's day too. That's why they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. <clears throat> they were amazed at the questions that he would ask. Jesus was committed to his heavenly father's priorities above everything else. That's why he said in verse 49, he said, I must be at my father's house. I must be here. I must remain. That word means it's necessary that I be in my father's house above everything else. It's necessary that I be here above everything above mom, 
Above making you feel comfortable. Okay, maybe I should have told you where I was, but above making you feel comfortable, I need to be here in my father's house. Elsewhere, he uses this phrase uh, in Luke considerably more than others. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. You see, he knew the father's purpose for him. And he said, this is what I must do because I know my purpose. Luke 13, 33, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and, and the day following. I can't be, a, I can't, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Luke 19, 15, he told Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house tonight. I understand my purpose for the father and I understand what God's purpose is in your life. I must be at your house tonight. Don't hide up in that tree. Come down. John 10, 16, I'm sorry, Luke. Yeah, no, John 10, 16. He said, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Friends, the phrase I must, must necessarily become the refrain of our lives. And I must will come together with I desire as the Holy Spirit is living in us. As we are learning how to emulate our Savior Jesus. We say I desire sweeter fellowship with the Father and therefore I must spend time in God's word. I, I'm, I need to know that I am not the only one going at this life alone. So I must be in relationship with other Christians that God has placed around me, which we call the local church. And of course, there's more than one uh, capital C church. And God's called us to be a part of a particular local church. And so our desire to honor him and follow him and grow in him and humbly recognize that we don't do this on our own is to connect with other believers who must also be together. And then, and then lastly, friends, Jesus was and kids. Listen up here. Jesus was submissive to his parents. Notice this. Jesus stayed behind because he knew he needed to be behind. He knew he needed to be learning. He knew he needed to be growing. But what happens? Mom and dad come and she's like, Hey, what's going on? And so when they say it's time to go, what does Jesus say? Okay, let's go. You hearing that kids? There are times when you're doing what you think you ought to be doing. And mom and dad say, it's time to stop. And you say, okay. Because you know that part of your purpose growing up, learning how to love God as you point upward and then love others as you move outward is to say, okay, mom. Okay, dad. Jesus, the son of God, who was far superior to any human, but who was fully human and fully God submitted to obeyed mom and dad. He had more knowledge than they had. How many of you? I know better than mom and dad. But even if that's true, it's probably not. But even if it is, because it was with Jesus, he obeyed. He obeyed. Did you know, kids, there's more to how many of you? Love picking up your room. Let's just go all the way up for this one. All the way up to the adults. Come on, adults, help me out with this. Do you love picking up your room? 
Okay, a couple of oddities in here. Wonderful. Praise God for you people. What a blessing to your parents. How many of you did not grow up loving to pick up your room? Yeah, I'm going to raise two hands right there. Yeah. Do you know picking up our room is more than just about cleaning up the toys? Do you know picking up our room can have a spiritual purpose to help us understand that God created us to manage everything around us well? And before we can manage a a business well, or before we can manage a family well, we need to learn, learn how to manage a room well. Maybe it starts with a closet. You pick up your closet. Why? So you can learn to live a life managing things in the way that God wants you to. For me right now, it's my garage. Just going to tell you. <laughs> Somebody had too much fun with that. In fact, I, I bought Sherilyn. Should I tell them this? Yes. Thanks. For Christmas, I got Sherilyn. Because she put it in her wish list. I'm like, I, I have tools. you know. She's like, I want to know if I need a pair of pliers. I want to know where they're at. So I want a pink tool set. Okay, here's the tool set, and I'll clean up the garage this winter. (laughs) Exactly. You should laugh at that. (laughs) And I'm going to close with this. But, hey, kids, listen. Jesus obeyed his father and mother because it was pleasing to the Lord, even though he knew more than them. And God has given us ways to start learning how to obey him by first learning how to obey our parents. It also teaches us how to love one another, which I know that doesn't totally drive yet, but it will one day. The end of the passage tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and in favor with man. There's a legend of an Irish king who disguised himself and went to the banquet hall of one of his uh, one of his barons. And he was escorted to a lowly place among the uh, among the throng who sat at the feast and the brilliance of his conversation. In other words, he's sitting with the common people using language that they wouldn't normally use the brilliance of the conversation and the, the nobility of his manner. He acted higher class than those he was sitting with. Soon attract the attention of, of someone with a, a sufficient authority to say, hey, you don't need to, you don't belong here. Well, let me move you up to another table. And so we would move him up to a higher table. Same thing occurred once more. And he was, he was soon seated among the nobles of the land. And after a great display of wisdom, one of the lords spoke out and he said, in truth, sir, you speak like a king. If you are not a king, you deserve to be a king. And then the king removed his disguise. He took his rightful place among his subjects. And that's, that's really what should have happened when, when the king of all kings came and he sat with and he, and he walked with the lower people, everyone, of this earth. His purpose was higher than our purpose. His, his, his language was different than our purpose. His way he went about life was different than all of ours. He was disguised as a lowly, lowly carpenter from Nazareth. He was king of kings and lord of lords. But his subjects were so blinded by their own pride and their sin that they were not willing to bow before him. And John says his own did not receive him. They weren't willing to bow before him, even though he said repeatedly, 
And he gave plenty of proof that he was the eternal God come down to redeem them. So let me ask, when you hear the word of God, when you, when you hear your king of kings speak, do you recognize this as the good word of God? Or does it sound like something that, that comes through something that uh, kind of muddles up all of the sound and it sounds muddy to you? When God says, this is how we're to purpose our life, does that resonate with your heart? Even knowing that, that you're not excellent at it yet. Or does it seem like it just doesn't, just totally doesn't make sense? Wait, the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So I don't have to crawl my way to the top. That's right. When the spirit of God is indwelling you for the right reasons, you can then recognize that as truth and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for helping me know you just a little bit more today. This applies to parents. All of this applies to each and every one of us in this room as we strive to emulate Jesus in the way that he pursued the father. If you don't recognize the voice of God, or if you're unsure, there's no better time than the present to say, this is very curious to me. I think I might be starting to treasure these things in my heart, but I don't really know what that's like. Could we talk about that? And I or someone you know here would love nothing more than to talk with you about that. Maybe today you need to say, I need to become part of this kingdom. I've been living according to the beat of my own drum. And it's time for me to hand it over to someone else who gave his life for me on the cross. Because I know I sin and I'm beginning to see that my good deeds will never outweigh my bad deeds. And I want this savior to be the king of my heart. I want the king of the entire universe to be the king of my heart. Heavenly father, I pray Lord that as we understand your word, that you would graciously help us to understand it increasingly. As we see how as parents, we have the great, great privilege of leading our kids, shepherding our kids to prioritize you and your purpose for our lives more and more. I pray as parents that we would be intentional to lead them in that direction and yet open-handed enough to, to acknowledge that we're going to miss it sometimes. And when we do to continue learning, to continue trusting you, and even modeling for our children or grandchildren what that looks like. For every one of us, Lord, would you help us to, to look to the perfect life of Jesus as we see it in your word here. And not understand it to be some fable, but to understand it as the real word of God given through many authors over many years, but brought together in one cohesive unit that you have called us to give our lives for to be the authority for all we say and all we do in this life. Lord, as we recognize that we're continually learning, would you, would you give us grace to be patient with one another? To be kind-hearted to those who are discouraged or struggling. To kindly, and yet maybe a little bit more strongly at times, to come alongside others who, 
who need a little bit more of a, a godly push to live in a way that's right, to honor you first and foremost, and to let that be fleshed out in their living. And may we be humble enough to invite others into our lives to help us see where and how we can emulate you more. Knowing that our pursuit of emulating you is never, ever what saves us, but only your free grace and mercy. That when we have repented of our sins and we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you paid the full penalty for everyone who believes on you. We believe that, we trust that. You'll save. And the deed is done. And then we continue living with now a right motive and a right desire and full hearts of gratitude. And it will always be, we pray, for your glory, for the fame of your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our soon coming King. Amen.
desires, the, the ways of the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes the feeling of that blessing trails along, sometimes even elasticizes and catching up, catches up as we honor the Lord in faith. And that is faith to say, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know the Lord blesses his people who strive to honor him. And then the Lord blesses us with the sort of feelings that follow with that. So go in his grace this week and go in the peace of the Lord. Church family, I want to also let you know that the office will be closed this week as uh, we'll be on vacations. And so uh, if you need anything, definitely let us know and, and we'll respond if it's on a more serious thing. Otherwise, we'll get back with you. Uh, we'll get back with you next week. OK, go in God's grace.